You are now tuned into The Point, the radio show that explores the Bible, studies its meaning, and affirms your faith with solid Bible teaching. The Point is sponsored by Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church of Early Texas. Grace Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m. Grace Point meets at the Early Chamber of Commerce while their new worship facility is under construction. More information can be found online at pointtolife.wordpress.com or by mailing Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church at P.O. Box 3134, Early Texas, 76803. That's Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church, P.O. Box 3134, Early Texas, 76803. And now, with this week's study of the scriptures, here's Pastor Leland Acker. Glad to have you along for another episode of The Point as we study our way through the scriptures today. If you will, join me in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we are studying our way through the Bible cover to cover, all the way from Genesis through the book of Revelation. We've made it as far as Genesis chapter 3 today, and in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to talk about the fall of man, uh, the original sin, the first sin, the sin that cast all of mankind into a sin nature and uh, resulted in the separation between God and man that God ultimately put together the plan of salvation for so that we could be restored into his kingdom. We're going to look at that downfall this morning in Genesis chapter 3. Now, as we study Genesis chapter 3, I want us to have a proper perspective of what sin is and why it was that this was such a big deal. This is not just a matter of eating the wrong apple or eating the wrong fruit. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't just a bad dietary choice. It wasn't just a simple act of disobedience, even though a simple act of disobedience would have been sufficient to get man kicked out of the garden. If you look at what's actually involved here in Genesis chapter 3, you'll see that when Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and ate it, it was actually an all-out rebellion against God. So as we keep that in mind, let's read Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, 
Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return." And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Genesis chapter 3 captures the fall of man. Man had been created perfect up until this point. There was no aging, no illness, no sin nature, no curse, no hardship. The Lord had taken man, created him perfect, in a perfect state at the, at the height and the pinnacle of his physical ability and placed him in a perfect environment, that being the Garden of Eden, to dress it and to keep it. And when man kept the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve worked in the Garden of Eden, it was not hard manual labor, as we oftentimes think of work today. And it was more of a hobby cultivation type situation. You know, when you're working in the flower bed, uh, you're working on the landscaping of your home, you're you're working with the potted plants and that sort of thing. You know, a lot of, a lot of you do this as a uh, hobby, as a pastime, and you don't feel like you're working hard. You don't feel like you're being forced into labor. You don't feel cursed when you're working on your flower beds at the house or when you're planting those tomatoes. You know, you, you feel like you're working hard when you're having to beat back the, the brush, the thorns, the vines, when you're trying to keep the mesquite from taking over your place. That's hard work. But back when God first created us, there were no thorns. There was no brush that took over the garden. There were no mesquite trees that ruined your grazing pastures. No, it was a perfect environment. Perfect weather, no hot days, no cold days, all right? No aging, no illness, no sin nature, no curse, no hardship, just good living in the presence of God. That's how God created man. And so everything was perfect until Satan entered in and tempted man. And if you look at the temptation that Satan put forth in verse 1, he says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? When Satan was tempting Adam and Eve, he was downplaying God's goodness and he was questioning God's word. In verse 4, when he said, Ye shall not surely die he was denying God's judgment and then in verse 5 he tells Adam and Eve or man and woman 
that God is holding out on them. Now, you say you keep talking about man. Wasn't the serpent talking to Eve? Uh, the Bible tells us that the serpent was talking to Eve, but the Bible also tells us that when the woman ate, she gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. So they're both here present for this conversation. And so Satan, in the form of the serpent, downplayed God's goodness, questioned God's word, denied God's judgment, told Adam and Eve that God was holding out on them. And so man sinned by eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, this sin that man committed in eating of this fruit was a selfish effort to please themselves. They were looking for a taste for an experience that they hadn't had before. They were looking for pleasure out of this deal. But this was also a rebellion against God in that they were eating this fruit of the understanding that if they ate this fruit, they would be as gods, that they would be on the same level as God, that they would be able to choose their destiny apart from God's direction and will. It was a rebellion against God. That was the sin. And as a result, man has been cursed with sin. Man has been cursed with sickness, with aging, with hard work, with death, with the sin nature. And man also faces God's judgment. But immediately after man sinned in the garden, God instituted his plan to redeem man. In addition to the theological significance Genesis chapter 3 offers regarding the fall of man, original sin, and the redemption, Genesis 3 also speaks into our own struggle with sin and temptation. And so today I'd like to look at this. I'd like to look at the temptation, the sin, the curse, and then the redemption. First, let's look at the temptation. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, the first thing he did was he diminished God's goodness. In verse 1, Satan says, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, when God spoke to Adam in Genesis chapter 2 on this particular topic, what to eat and what not to eat, in Genesis 2.16, God said, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Now, that word, that phrase, freely eat, comes from a Hebrew word which cannot be adequately translated into the English language because we don't have an equivalent for it. But if you, if you could give it your best shot at translating this Hebrew word into the English language, it would mean eating to begin to eat. In other words, when you eat, eat till you get your fill. Fill up. Dig in. Dine up. Feast. And when you're full, you have just begun. A couple of years ago, I took my kids to Washington, D.C. to see the nation's capital, to see the changing of the guard at Arlington Cemetery, to see the, the Lincoln Memorial firsthand. I mean, and that was the highlight of the trip for the kids was seeing the Lincoln Memorial firsthand. They've been looking at it on, on the back of pennies and on the back of $5 bills all these years. They were blown away when they saw what it was like in person. Okay, so they got to see, you know, so I'll take them to see these monuments, the Vietnam War Memorial, the Washington Monument, the World War II Memorial, and we toured the nation's capital, the Capitol Building. And so I don't know how well you know the geography of Washington, D.C., but from the Tomb of the Unknowns to the Capitol Building is a 3.1-mile hike. And we weaved in and out of the National Mall on our way from one end to the other. We walked the whole thing. And so we easily put about 10 miles on our feet that day. That evening when our tour of the National Mall 
of the nation's monuments, of our nation's capital, was over. We got into the car, we got on, uh, we got on our phones, and found an all-you-could-eat buffet just across the border in Maryland. And we went there, and we walked inside, we paid the admission, and I told the kids, because normally we regulate what they eat, you got to get a meat, two vegetables, you know, that sort of thing. We told them after all the activity, they could have whatever they want and as much as they wanted. Let me tell you, those kids dined in. This buffet was one of those places that they had a place where they grilled steak. They had a home-style menu, you know, fried chicken, meatloaf. They had a seafood buffet. They had a dessert buffet, a salad buffet, a vegetable buffet. I mean, there were five or six different stations you go to and get different, uh, get different types of food. And you could eat there, and you could eat until you were just stuffed. I mean, it was, it was food wonderland was where we went to. Okay, that's essentially what Adam and Eve lived in in the garden. A food wonderland. You have all these trees. We don't know how many trees were in the garden, but uh, we get the idea that it was a significant number of trees. And Adam and Eve could have eaten of the fruit of these trees until they were full, laid in the cool of the shade beneath one of the trees until they were feeling a little hungry again, until they've had a little bit of room to put some more food in there and gone back and eaten some more. And I don't know if you've ever been in a fruit grove, but it is an amazing experience. Uh, we had this opportunity when we went to California here a few years back. We went to a place called Murray, Murray Family Farms, uh, just south of Bakersfield on Highway 53, I think it is, just at the base of the mountains. And you could go out there and pick fruit and eat it. And I ate a fresh fig for the first time in my life, and it was just an amazing experience. Just imagining being able to live among those trees and be able to pick fruit whenever I felt like it and eat it was that that would have been heaven. And that was what the Garden of Eden was. That's what God had created. God had given Adam and Eve an endless buffet of really good food and told them to dig in. Just don't eat of this tree over here. And so God has given them everything they could ask for and all of it in terms of quantity as much as they could take in terms of quantity. God had given them massive abundance, an existence that you and I can only dream of. Yet when Satan poses the question in verse 1, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden, he is casting all that God has given them aside, all the hundreds of trees that are in this garden that are producing fruit uh, on a year-round basis, delicious fruit, good food, Satan cast all that aside and turns Adam and Eve's focus to the one thing that they cannot have, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Temptation sets in when we allow Satan to diminish the goodness of God. When we allow Satan to turn our attention away from what God has given us to our focus on what God has told us we can't have. And so Satan diminished God's goodness, and that's how he tempted Adam and Eve. He also questioned God's word. In verse 1, Satan says, Yea, hath God said? Or to put it another way, did God really say? So not only is he diminishing God's goodness, but he's casting doubt on what God really said. He's casting doubt on God's authority to say what he said. God's word said to freely eat. Just don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Satan confused all this by questioning God's word. Hath God said? Did God really say? Was that really the meaning of what he told you? Today, questioning God's word is a multi-million dollar industry. 
Today, an author can be very successful if he writes a book challenging the way the Bible has been interpreted for centuries and coming up with a new doctrine, questioning God's word. Then Satan denied God's judgment in verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. In other words, you're not going to die. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. It'll be all right. God warned man that if he ate of the fruit, he would die. Satan said he would not die. And one of Satan's biggest lies is that we will not face the consequences of our actions. When man sins, he has temporarily convinced himself that God's judgment doesn't exist. Think about it. When you're committing a sin, would you continue in that sin if you realized that God was going to call you onto the carpet for it? No. In that moment that you're committing that sin, you have temporarily convinced yourself either that God doesn't exist or that he doesn't care about the sin that you're committing, therefore he's not going to judge you for it. That's one of the biggest lies that Satan puts out there and that Satan puts in your mind and in your heart is that God will not hold you accountable for your sin. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. Satan also accused God of holding out in verse 5. Satan says, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan's temptation toward Adam and Eve is that God has been withholding his best. God was holding them back. God was denying them pleasure. God was enslaving them and keeping them under his thumb. They had Adam and Eve, he had Adam and Eve thinking that they were just one bite away from being magnificent beings, but God wouldn't allow it because God didn't want to be threatened by their growth and their ascension. Satan uses the same tactics today, although it's often phrased a little bit differently. Satan convinces people to blame religion for all of their problems. Satan convinces people to turn their backs on God because the people at the church are judgmental or the teachings are too legalistic. Satan has imaged Christianity as a religion where there is no pleasure, no fun, no free will, no ability to dream, no right to dream or to follow your dreams. Satan has convinced the world that all the church wants is your money. And Satan has convinced the world that by ditching religion and faith that they have become free. There's actually an organization called the Freedom From Religion Organization. It's all lies of Satan accusing God of withholding good stuff, of withholding his best, of holding out on us. Never fall for this. God has given us his best. He has allowed us to live in this wonderful world. And if you, if you are listening to this and you are within the continental United States or the greater United States in general, Alaska, Hawaii, the territories, then uh, God has allowed you to live in a country that is freer than any country in the history of this world that has also been more prosperous than any country in the history of this world. God has given us his best. God has given us his best and that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be redeemed and welcomed into his perfect kingdom forever, that we could live in a newly restored Garden of Eden the way we were supposed to from the beginning. The law of God doesn't hold out on us. The law of God restrains us from death and self-destruction. So that's the temptation. Then we talk about the sin. Let's look in verse 6. In verse 6, the Bible tells us, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that, was, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, 
She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. Now, the progression that Eve follows here, seeing that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, that progression follows the three sinful attitudes of the world, which are captured in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, which says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. All of these things are of the world. The lust of the flesh, this is physical desire, sexual desire. The lust of the eyes, it's covetousness. It looks good, therefore you want it. And the pride of life, building your own kingdom, selfish accomplishments. These things are of the world, and being of the world, therefore they are not of God. Physical desire, sexual desire outside of marriage is not a God thing. I saw a posting on Facebook one time that says, ladies, lest you be confused, be assured God will not send you another woman's husband. Okay. If a man is married and he is trying to court you, God did not send him. This is not a holy thing. All right. Satan is working his way into your life at that point. Sexual desire, physical desire outside of marriage is not a God thing. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could have a new car or a promotion at work. Our lives are to exalt the Father and not ourselves. We look at Eve's progression here. And the fact that she began functioning on this level by using ungodly desires and reasoning is what brought in the sin. Notice in verse 6 it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. She saw that the tree was good for food. This is lust of the flesh, physical desire. It was pleasant to the eyes. This is the lust of the eyes. You see it, it looks good, therefore you want it. And then she saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. This is pride of life, accomplishments, lifting yourself up against God. And when she saw these three factors that go right along with 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, she ate and Adam ate with her. And thus they sinned, they rebelled against God, and death entered in. We need to recognize these three aspects of sin and shut them down before their seed germinates and spawns sin in our life. Be aware of the lust of the flesh. Be aware of physical desires that pull you away from God's will and from his word. Be aware, be aware and be wary and repent whenever you see things and you want them because they look good, and you can just see yourself possessing those things. The lust of the eyes, you see it, therefore you want it. Beware of covetousness. That's not of God. There's a multi-million dollar Christian book industry that tries to teach you that you can claim and gain anything you want. You see it, you want it, you claim it, and on your faith, you know that God will deliver it. That's not what Jesus died on the cross for. So be aware of that sinful attitude that can creep in and repent from it. And be aware whenever you want something for the sake of promoting yourself, of bettering yourself, as opposed to promoting God's kingdom. The Bible tells us in James chapter 2 that uh, we have not because we ask not, and we ask and have not because we ask amiss that we may consume things on our own lust. God is not here to grant us our wishes as if he were some kind of a cosmic genie. He is here 
to teach us, to guide us, to form us, to transform us into a place and into a person that he can welcome into his kingdom and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we have the temptation, we have the sin, then as you have sin, you have a curse. And so we have the curse, and the curse uh, begins with separation from God. In verse 8, here in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They were hiding themselves from God. They were separated from God. Not only were they separated from his physical presence, but they now had an adversarial relationship with God. They were now rebels. They were now in trouble. They were now due God's judgment. We suffer the same thing today as a result of sin. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Romans 5, so notice that, sin and iniquity have separated between us and God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice Romans 5, 10 says, for if when we were enemies, before you knew Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you were an enemy to God. You were reconciled to God by the death of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, for he, Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one, and notice this next part, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. When man sinned, he erected a wall of partition between him and God. Being separated from God's presence means being separated from his provision and his blessing. And therefore, in verse 19, man goes from being in his perfect environment where work is easy to a place where work is hard. In verse 19, God says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou was taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Hard work, part of the curse. Work, no longer activity. It's now a struggle. And the work would undo itself. If you've ever cleared a field, or you've mowed, or you've brush hogged, and gone back a few months later, you'll see how quickly Mother Nature takes that land back over. Work has a tendency of undoing itself. You build a house, the house starts to fall down. You fix your plumbing, the plumbing comes undone again. All right, Work has a tendency to undo itself, and that's all part of the sin curse. Man's life would be a struggle. And death is part of this curse in verse 19. Physical death and spiritual death. And so that's the curse. And in verse 23, man is removed from the garden. So we have the temptation, the sin, the curse, and now we have the redemption. In verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the gospel promise there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The seed of the woman is Christ, which the fact that it's a seed of a woman and not a seed of a man, this points to the virgin birth and also points to the sinlessness of Christ because God said he would put enmity or division between Christ and Satan. Thus, Christ would be born sinless. Now, the Bible says in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman, Christ, would bruise the head of the serpent. He would crush Satan's power and destroy Satan. But in the process, Satan, the serpent, would bruise his heel. So in the process of destroying Satan, the seed of the woman, Christ would suffer a death blow. So here you have the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. Even in the beginning, 
God promised redemption through the gospel. And Adam got the message. Adam got the message because if you look in verse 20, the Bible tells us that Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Adam received the sentence. You're getting kicked out of the garden and you're going to die. But I'm going to send the seed of the woman who will die and destroy Satan so that you all can live forever. Adam heard that and renamed his wife Eve because she's the mother of all living. And so we look in Genesis chapter 3 here and we see the original fall of man. We see the fall of man, original sin, that which separated us from heaven. And there's theological importance to that because that's what Jesus undoes when he gets on the cross. But we also see the importance of identifying temptation and sin for what it is. And we learn that we need to flee sin, flee temptation, and continue to be obedient to God and to trust him and to worship him and to honor and glorify him. Keep that with you as you go forward this week. May God bless you will be my prayer. You've been listening to The Point, the radio show that explores the Bible, studies its meaning, and affirms your faith with solid Bible teaching. The Point is a radio ministry of Grace Point Missionary Baptist Church, which meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., at the Early Chamber of Commerce, 104 East Industrial Drive in Early, just off Highway 377, next to Pate's Hardware. Mail to P.O. Box 3134, Early, Texas, 76803. May God bless you and thank you for listening.